This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster. And this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we're going to review Prodigy episode 19, part one of the two-part season finale. I can't believe we're here already. But let's start with the news and an interview about Strange New Worlds with Mr. Anson Mount that was done at the Paramount Plus launch in Germany. I actually really liked the question that he was asked. It, it was from a German site, Trek Zone. They're a good German Star Trek site. Germany's the number one non-English speaking market for Star Trek in the world. And this guy was asking Anson about the season finale and about the season in general. Basically, Strange New Worlds feels like it has a bit more of a martial militaristic vibe to it. You know, and he mentioned the Gorn arc. And let's face it, that was the message of the finale, was it not? That yes, he called it hawkish. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he asked him, you know, you know, how does that fit with the idealism of the show? And Anson, you know, said it's a good question and that these are, you know, the issues of Trek's idealism in the face of these things. And as he says, can someone be a monster? And I think he's talking about the Gorn there. You know, these are the questions that they'll be addressing in season two. Yeah, I mean, in some way, it's it's not the most fair question to ask Anson as the actor. He's not writing the stories. He's not <laughs> planning out the season. Yes. But he he's a thoughtful guy, and he obviously thinks about these things. And I thought it was a really good question. And the answer, like, partly made me nervous and partly didn't. But it definitely made me curious because I'm glad they are thinking about those things. He didn't say, what are you even talking about? You know, it wasn't a big shock that that has been an issue for people. That being said, even if they are addressing these issues of, you know, exploring Star Trek's idealism, a lot of people on the web jumped on an article and said, oh, you know, this, they're trying to be like Deep Space Nine or, you know, it's a, like this is the same season that's going to have a Lower Decks crossover. You know, they're not becoming Dark Trek. You know, these things were explored in season one and they're going to be explored in season two. Maybe they'll be a little more hardcore because they've said that season two is a little more hardcore. But I don't think the show is going dark that much more than it already is, I guess. You know, I did have issues with the message of the season finale. That's for sure. With a bunch of things. in, So it is somewhat reassuring to not be the only one, but it doesn't mean I think I didn't think that the whole show is doing that. I know they're doing the crossover. They're also going to do like goofy. They're going to do goofy, silly stuff and crazy stuff. And they're very much into pushing. I don't want to say pushing the limits because it's not, they're not going nuts, but they're, they're stretching things and experimenting. And that part, is interesting and honestly quite traditional if you go all the way back to the original series that's true where every week they were doing something new yeah <laughs> henry alonso Myers has said that the co-showrunner who really should be answering this question but he has said that season two will they're going to do something he hasn't said what that star trek's never done before we still don't know what that is it could be a musical episode or it could be something more you know, serious, but see what he has to say. Um, there was also um, just a more kind of fun thing where uh, Anson was at a Comic-Con in Wales and he was asked, you know, if you could do anything you want on the show in a future season, 
you know, a different genre because they're always doing different genres. He immediately said Western, which is so on brand for Anson. I'm not sure I want to see another Star Trek Western. I don't. And frankly, in a lot of ways, science fiction is the evolution of the Western anyway, already. So it's not really a big stretch. It's just changing the costumes and the technology. Like, I mean, Star Wars, I always thought was very much like a Western, too, with the good guys and the bad guys. And Star Trek is the same thing, like exploring the frontier. It's a lot of the same. It's just an evolved version. Yeah, and but he, I think he means you know horses, cowboys, right? G- guns. He means like literally Western, um, which we've seen. Star Enterprise did it, TNG did it, TOS did it. But it's back to what I'm saying, which is I like sci-fi because it it gives us on top of that idea of good guys, bad guys exploring, but it gives us cool technology. So don't take it all away and put everybody on a horse and give them old-fashioned weapons. Like to me, that. <laughs> takes all the the fun out of it (laughs) if they could make a reunion a hell on wheels reunion out of it i'm all for it um (laughs) but uh the other thing he suggested which is more on brand with star trek is he wants to do a kind of whodunit detective story with spock and pike as two different types of detectives and i thought that was kind of an interesting thing but uh you know they're not looking to the actors to pitch them and no. Anson has said that himself. You know, he's not one of those guys who's pitching stories. So right. I think Henry and those guys have plenty of ideas for their 10 episodes a year. Right. And actors just like to do different interesting things. They like to get out of uniform and be in different clothes. They like to try different personas. So I get why any sort of shift in environment and costume appeals to all of them. He got a little space cowboy in, in the you know, in the first episode, he got the big beard and the horse. Yep. What else do you want? And I did love those scenes. He did talk. We didn't put this in the article. He talked about what Mirror Universe Pike would be like. And he said that the horse would be on the ship, which I thought was an interesting idea. Um, <laughs> that would not be nice for the horse. <laughs> There's another thing related to Strange New Worlds that happened this week, which, which was the release of the first Strange New Worlds comic book tie-in it's called the illyrian enigma and this is pretty important because this is set between seasons one and two and it picks up right after the finale and it basically covers the storyline of una being arrested which we know they're going to pick up in season two so it's a tricky line for them to be on to be able to tell a story without interfering with what's going to happen. Have you read the whole issue yet? I've skimmed the first issue. Um, I usually like to read these when they're done. So you just sit down and read the miniseries like a book. You're a binger. From what I've seen, you know, a couple of spoilers. He makes Spock the first officer, uh, but Spock's like only temporary, right? (laughs) And we see some old-fashioned Illyrians. Because one of the questions about Una is, why doesn't she look like an Illyrian? Because the Illyrians had, you know, Rick Berman era forehead situations going on, <laughs> none of which we saw with her, right? They, right. And because they were on Enterprise. And, you know, that'll probably be explained of why she looks different. You know? But the Illyrians want Una freed. Like, that's the whole premise. They're pissed, um, which they would be. Um, so... It'll be interesting to see where this goes and and how required reading it will be 
for people to watch season two, which is something they really don't do. So I don't think it will be required reading, but you know, will it be enhancing like the Picard miniseries they did was interesting, but you could talk, you, you real it's not going to really feed into season three of Picard, even though it's set between seasons. I think this will be a little bit more. Um, it's written by co-written by, uh, Kirsten Beyer, who's a co-executive producer on the show. Anyway, it's worth at least looking into. And there's some very cool co- covers, that's for sure. And we have the covers up on the site and five pages to look at for people who want to get a little peek to decide if they're going to get it or not. And then they'll probably go get it. One of the covers, um, it's the one of the retail incentive covers, uh, which means you could, it's hard to get, but uh, it's pike in lower decks animated style and it's like mostly his hair (laughs) excellent which is is kind of fun i don't know if that's what he's really gonna look like on lower decks um but it's a pretty good match i think nice well we also had a little bit of star trek picard news because terry metallis is still on twitter and still (laughs) answering questions which is nice so (laughs) a fan asked him if we're going to see the enterprise e which was in the movies, first start, starting with First Contact. And he said the E isn't there, but the Sovereign class is. And then he even had an explanation for what happened to the E, which was, he said, and I quote, it's not the years, it's the mileage. Even the F is getting up there. Flagships take a beating. Because we see the F in the trailer, briefly. Right. The fact that they use the Star Trek online ship, my bet is... The F is barely in the season. They put that in the trailer, I think, just to... It's kind of fan service I think, but I don't think the Enterprise is a major... Or the Enterprise F, at least, is a major plot point. It does leave fans wondering, like, what happened to the E? Like, why isn't there an E? Why did, did it get destroyed? Was it retarded? It sounds like they're not going to answer that question in the season, so we will just never know. You know, we know what happened to the original and to the A mm-hmm. and to the, the D yep. and, to, and the C and kind of the B, although yeah. the B, the B wasn't mm-hmm. destroyed in generation. So it probably lived on afterwards after they fixed it up. You know, a little line of dialogue wouldn't wouldn't hurt, but I don't think we're going to get <laughs> that. But yeah, I mean, you know, just the one little missive on Twitter and like the, you know, fans are buzzing about, you know enterprises you know what's funny is i think terry's campaign of little bits and bobs over the last few months has worked some people say he's saying too much but you know what it's done people have forgotten about season two i think they've they've, yeah (laughs) no and that's i think the most important thing to do in this case as someone who is very unhappy with season two so i think most of season two yeah, I, I thought it's, it started the strong. First episode. Yeah, loved no, the first the, episode. The, and this, I, I remember the second one being good. Oh yeah, first was great. Second was almost as great, maybe just as great. You know, and and then uh, it started, and then it just got worse. But so I, I think it's look, he's out there, he's giving information, he's keeping people interested, he's shifting the attention from season two to season three, as you said, and um, and I'm, I'm in. Tell me more. It's fine. He's not giving away plot. He's not ruining any surprises that are coming. He's giving fun details to keep people interested. And I'm 
frankly surprised he's getting away with it, given the amount of secrecy there always is around these shows. I think he's just been given a free reign. I mean, the fact that they let him do this season and and the, the level at which he's changed up the show, you know, he's brought in a new composer, new director of photography, you know, like the whole show's a new show entirely. He's even joked that it shouldn't be called Star Trek Picard. It should be called Star Trek Legacy. Um, but the people who make that decision are not the people who decide what you're allowed to say on social media. You know, maybe the powers that be have told the PR people, just let them do whatever the hell lay, he wants. Lay off. <laughs> let let Terry be <laughs> Terry. Because I think it's working and good for him. And like you said, it's nothing like, you know, he shared a picture of the holodeck, a control panel. It's got little Easter eggs in it. It means you could overanalyze it. You know, like the 10 forward is in there. Does that mean we saw the 10 forward we saw in the trailer is actually a holodeck program. So he had to come in and say, no, that was <laughs> not the, you know, it's like, it's like, there's no way anyone will ever be able to read this holodeck pad. He was just showing you the detail on the set because there's so much detail, him and Dave Blass. Well, and know. honestly, going all the way back to when I went on the Discovery set before the show ever premiered, and it was just the uh, the first ship, it wasn't even Discovery, the Shencho. And there were the books in the captain's ready room, basically, all had titles of original series episodes on them. You never saw them in Jojo's room. Yeah, so there's all kinds of stuff. And they had those little colored discs that looked like little floppies. I mean, all these fun things that you never saw. So we're now counting down. We're something like 53.5 days away. 0. 0.5. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I'm, you know, but we're, it's get, we're getting close. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to January when things really ramp up on the uh, promotion and, you know, the junket where we get to start talking to these people. I can't wait to hear what Brent Spiner has to say, because they're so trying to be, keep things weird with him. Yeah. Um, so he's not going to give anyone a straight answer about anything is my bet. But. No. And that's sort of his thing anyway. Exactly. Exactly. So it'll be like even more weird, Brent. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be exciting. That's okay. Let's switch over to Prodigy. Sure. So before we start with the new episode, um, I did get to interview Julie and Shauna Benson, who co-wrote last week's episode, Sisters, who were writers. It was all by email, so I didn't get to follow up on anything. But I love that episode, and they had a lot to say about it, and they talked about the inspiration for the body swap, which is not what you'd think, and differences between the two Janeways and a bunch of other stuff. So if you are still interested in last week's episode, as I was, uh, go read it, and you'll find out more about it. And they address a couple nitpicks, which is always fun. So, um, yeah, and they're, I mean, everyone who works on the show loves the show, <laughs> loves Star Trek you know, at varying degrees. Um, but they're definitely like Chad, who I interviewed a few weeks ago yeah. on the spectrum of fans. These are um, longtime fans. They've been fans. I was following them before they ever started writing for prodigy mm. on Twitter, not stalking them, like chasing them and going <laughs> to their houses. But <laughs> so, and they're always, they, they're great at answering questions on, on Twitter as well, but they gave me nice, thoughtful answers. So it's time to talk about Supernova Part 1. So I need to start by making a confession to everybody, which is that when I got to the end of this episode, I did the one thing I never, ever do. I couldn't help it. It was right there in my hand. 
I I watched the next one. So I am not going to participate in any predicting. Okay. Because I cheated. And it's only because I, even though I felt like this episode was very much a full finished episode, I still just, I just, I was like, I can't, I can't wait another week. I just, it's here. I have to do it. So I did it. But we're only going to review this. I'm not going to, I'm very clear on exactly what happened in this one. So don't worry. And I just won't talk about what might happen as a result. Well, I'm free to pull things out of my butt and guess because I resisted. Um, I just, uh, I decided, no, I want to go into the last one clean. And unlike episode nine, if our longtime reader listeners remember, I did not like how episode nine, which was also a part one of two, just felt like half an episode or felt like it was really just there to set up the finale, but didn't feel complete. Even though this one does set up the finale finale, it does feel like a complete episode with a beginning, a middle and an end. It pays off a lot of stuff from earlier in the season and from within the episode itself. I had no issues with this being half an episode and I, I loved it. I think it was great. It was one of the strongest episodes of the series. Maybe the strongest. I mean, the only reason I wouldn't put it maybe at the top because you w- you couldn't watch it as a standalone. So if I yeah. was picking a best episode, I would probably pick one that you could just watch. But I thought it was the most exciting, packed, intense, up and down episode of the series so far. And of a lot of Star Trek in general, actually, like really, really evoked some. I mean, di- completely different vibe, but best of both worlds a little bit in that things just kept getting more more interesting and then all of a sudden this big moment and i kept thinking i'm glad i don't have to wait the whole summer to find out what happens but i thought it had emotional highs and lows and i thought at the beginning when they were cutting from one location to another it just kept things moving it wasn't one of those things where you're jerked away from what's happening and you're mad like i wasn't you know it just it just moved things so quickly it was very hard for me to believe what i read on twitter today which is that the writer aaron mcnamara that it was the first episode of tv yeah she's been in the you know in the writer's room with them as a writer's assistant but this is her first script you know i suspect that like with everything it you know it went through the showrunners and everything else but well everyone every episode does but it's very tight as you said, the pacing is great. You feel like it is kind of giving everyone their moment. I mean, it does the thing that all Prodigy episodes do, which is it takes shortcuts. Shortcuts yep. that we would expect them not to do in a regular Star Trek. It forces you to use headcanon to make certain things make sense because they just don't bother telling you. But there there was, I mean, there was only one time in the episode where I'm like, that doesn't make any sense at all. I think it was the same thing that got me. You know, and again, I don't want to dwell on nitpicks, but the thing is, you you know what they're going for. So it, 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 towards the end, the construct is causing all sorts of mayhem and it has one last annoying thing. It, it turns off the Universal Translator, yeah. And that allows Dal to deliver the line, it's just like Tars Lamora, which is a devastating line um, that, you know, essentially it's a Tower of Babel once again, and it, it opens the door for Gwyn to have her hero moment. But the problem is that it, rely, it, it you look at this and you go, wait a minute, these people 
you know, Janeway can't talk to Tysis. How's that possible? He can't speak standard. Right. I mean, how I, I felt like I loved why they did it. Like, I know what they wanted to do. And I think it was so effective. All those moments were incredibly effective and made the story really interesting. But I would think that every Starfleet Academy graduate would speak standard. And you couldn't even do the thing, let's say, Discovery did in season two, where it scrambled everybody. You know, where like Detmer goes, I'm, am I speaking Arabic? Like, you know, just all these different languages because they needed Janeway and Dal and Gwyn to be able to understand each other without having to slow everything down. Like someone says something and Gwyn translates, whatever. So I love the goal. I loved the result, but it did stop me for just a minute. And Gwyn could have still had the hero moment speaking Klingon, even if Janeway could talk to Tysis. I mean, you know, but if you do some mental gymnastics, you're like, well, it is scrambling everyone, but not on the protostar because hollow Janeway has fixed it on the protostar and Dal speaks Federation standard because Nandi taught him Federation standard. Right. You know, they don't have time to explain all this. You could explain it in your head, but that doesn't matter when that moment when Tysis turns to Janeway and they can't understand each other. I think a lot of Star Trek fans will say that's not possible. You know, it's it is a kids show and it's not it's not for I'm not saying it's not for us because it is for us, but it does keep in mind its audience. And, you know, someone on our on our post had commented that they thought we were saying something negative when we say it's a kids show. And I'm we're not saying it's negative. We're just saying that when kids are watching, they're not thinking, well, son, an Adorian who's in Starfleet would know how to speak. St-. You know, they're not thinking of those things. And so when they do take shortcuts, they're not going to address those things that their main audience that they're addressing yeah. isn't going to be bothered by it anyway. So that's sort of all we mean when we say that. I have and it is of- literally, I mean, you know, the Academy nominated it for the kids and family it was a children's and family emmys because yes. it is literally qualifies for that it doesn't qualify as a primetime emmy like strange new worlds so you know we're not it isn't it's just a fact that's why i would never take this show and compare it you know and you know and say this is my favorite show compared to you know a live action show like Deep space nine that's a different kind of show with a different kind of audience and so there is a bit of apples and oranges, which is why sometimes these nitpicks, it's only when it takes you out of an episode that I that it's noticeable like this one, where it's like, wait a minute. Same. But at the same time, the show is still rewarding fans. I mean, that whole scene with Janeway. Last week, we we're like, how does Janeway get out of this? Who's going to break her out? Right. Because she has no friends on the ship. But it turns out she did have a friend on the ship. And this is a delightful surprise, a super deep cut. I had forgotten about this episode. Oh, I hadn't forgotten about the episode. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I looked back and there were these two little girls, uh, these two little alien girls. So it's one of those little alien girls grew up to be in Starfleet. She was a refugee. And that's beautiful that they could pull that. As soon as she said, you know, you hid telepaths from the divorce. I knew, ex- I mean, I remembered the episode exactly. The only funny part was she added a little drama because she said, you lied 
in this very accusing tone. <laughs> you lie to the Devore people about hiding refugees. And then all of a sudden softens her voice and says, I was one of those refugees, but I think were you just trying to like psych her out for a minute? Like it yeah. just, <laughs> I felt like she was unnecessarily theatrical in her delivery, <laughs> but it was a great moment. You might have to put that down to Bonnie Gordon and her adding a little spin to it as it were right it just felt like oh let's just make her scared for just one minute longer before i let her know i'm gonna set her free (laughs) but it was great because we were talking last week about who knows janeway well enough to just listen to her and no one on her ship knows her well enough so that was a beautiful moment for that reason too and it was it was funny how dal had to admit because everyone's like oh well everything's fine janeway's back on the ship (laughs) she's gonna tell everyone you know and everything's fine and he's like well maybe everybody thinks she's crazy maybe which fair enough he didn't know what he was doing right i feel like i mean is is it just me but this even though dal's a big part this is really a gwyn episode i feel don't you though in general well, it is, but he had some really big moments. Like, I think his biggest moment, one of his biggest moments was when he said he had two huge ones. One was, we've been in worse jams with less practice. Trust me, we're going to laugh about it one day at Starfleet Academy. So Awkward. I thought that was him really stepping. I know, and then Rock starts to say something, and then they're like, oh, and he just misses this whole exchange. And then he had another, I another really big, big moment after Gwyn drops the bombshell about augments. Yeah, and he was very good being all captainy on the bridge and, you know, ordering maneuvers and all that kind of stuff. So, it, all the stuff that we've seen on the show has paid off. All the practicing, they are competent. They know what they're doing. And they are a crew. They are a real crew that works together. Yeah. I mean, it's surprising how long the ship lasted. They have the They've never really defined how powerful the proto-warp drive is. And because they were saying the proto-warp drive, which wasn't working, but the power was available to power the shields because the whole fleet was shooting at them. Yeah. So they shouldn't have lasted more than like two seconds, but they seemed to last about 10 minutes um, uh, under that barrage, which allowed them to do all sorts of drama during that 10 minutes. Right. And I, I actually wrote, just like the swoops of their evasive maneuvers were riding up and down. (laughs) with them emotionally so i thought that was well done but you're right it is a gwyn episode it's a big one for for her gwyn and her dad gwyn and the diviner you know because it was the end of his story the end of his arc i guess i mean i assume we'll still get we'll see him in flashbacks at least so he dies obviously um but okay, so when he dies, he disintegrated. Okay, yep. and then Gwyn glowed. I feel like because if you remember back, there was a um, what do you, uh, the one of those Janeway logs talked about how their race has a connection to that race from TNG that was transcending into higher beings. Oh yeah, yeah, that guy. So th- there is something. I mean, because they're telekinetic and they're telepathic, and I feel like. She absorbed some kind of energy or something. I think maybe part of him is in her now or something like that. Maybe there was definitely something happened there. It, it was it was very Obi-Wan um, disintegrating um, 
I almost expect him to show up as a force ghost. I mean, well, first of all, (laughs) him dying was like straight out of Return of the Jedi, right? Yes, yes. I think he's going to come back as some kind of ghost is my point or, or a memory or something within her or I don't know. I haven't figured it out. I also, and this is for next season. I also think, you know, there was an interesting one when the vindicator said to him, you know, you were always the weak one. And that made me think that we are going to find out more about their history because they used to be the same age. We know that. Mm -hmm. So I think that we will it's I'm thinking more about like, how will I get more of John Noble because I love him. And so I think that you could be right. That's a really strong possibility, but I also think we'll get some history back on their well, planet. He, he's dead, but he's not dead because right. he's alive. Correct. He, he will. He's dead because he will be dead, but he is actually alive. Well, here's my other question. How long has it been since, the protostar dis- since Chakotay and the protostar disappeared. How much time has passed? Well, bear in mind they disappeared into the future. So, no, but, but they, they they've only been gone like a year or something like that. That's I my think. question. But they jumped forward. No, I know. I 20, just mean, 20 years or something. But like I that. no, but I mean for Janeway, how long has he been missing? Oh, okay, yeah. So, but the younger Vindicator and the younger. His first contact hasn't happened yet. So, you know, the, the Vindicator and the Diviner are out there somewhere on, on a planet waiting for first contact that they're trying to stop. You know, and that's the thing that is we keep on forgetting, but it's not the protostar that does the first contact. They do the ill-fated second contact, I guess. Right, right. Um, or not really second, because they said Starfleet the Cerritos went into second contact. Yeah. <laughs> they took one look at them and said, we don't want to deal with Yeah, No, too much. Too much. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think he'll be back. I think younger Divider will be back. Um, you know, who, who probably has like a real name is probably like Steve or something, you know, mm. but uh, you know, the, these names, I think, were given to them as part of their mission. That's right. That's the sense I got when they became the trust, I think. So yeah, there's there's more to this story for sure. Yeah. I think that whatever happened there was really big for Gwyn because he essentially tasked her with a mission, a new mission to save the Vaunukat in a different way, right? To stop the civil war or something. But what did he say? You know, make, you know. He said, maybe you can unify them. Do what I never could. And then he says the line about there's no barrier that we cannot overcome. You know, I feel like she's going to take that on as, you know, her mission. And what I don't know is how that fits into her going to Starfleet Academy. Right. I mean, here's the thing. Now Starfleet, well, we don't know what's going to happen. But let's assume that, you know, everyone doesn't die in the next episode. Because <laughs> um, we know there's a season two. <laughs> you know, just merely because of all this Michigas. Nice. There is a ship out there that we, you know, saw in the future flashbacks. Can't they just stop the first contact with the Vaunukat now that they know how bad it's going to go? Starfleet's like, if you ever run into a planet called Solemn to all ships, um, don't make first contact, whatever you do, you know, these. Yeah, Gwen has to fill them in. Because they don't have all those details. Yes, yes. 
but maybe she it's going to be her mission to make first contact as a you know starfleet cadet i don't know but starfleet can't just stumble in like they did before she's got to now fix that as it were right. she's got to fix first contact and make it work so that's why i think it's such a big episode for her because it in a way changed her future and she takes the captain's chair that was a big moment yeah he yeah. called her captain and he put her in the chair he did that was sweet so yeah no all in all it was i mean she, you know so ella Purnell was great john noble was great jamila jamil was great right i mean she was just she let loose she was she <laughs> so evil finally so, got to do you could tell it was like all this pent-up <laughs> evilness maniacal laugh the yep. whole whole package everything she's now the villain of the show she's the big bad we predicted it it's happened and i guess it was always going to happen when i interviewed noble he talked about how the diviner's redemption was inevitable or something like that you know so he was never really destined to be the big bad it was always her i guess at least for the long run right well, she was having a blast, you could tell. And then she got to zoom away inside her dreadnought. <laughs> what can a dreadnought not do, right? It could be a coffee table. Um, it can turn into an escape pod. You know, it could become a spider. It's um, sort of like I, Doc Ock, right, from Spider-Man, because suddenly it's got all these, these flinging arms that can do all these things. This gets to another thing of how the show kind of has to pull its punches because it's a it is for younger audiences. So Dreadnought shows up on the ship and says, I will eliminate everyone. But then it, it, it doesn't, right? Like it is literally a killing machine. Right. And yet, yet it somewhat gently, let's face it, incapacitates all the kids. For Dreadnought. And then, it was gentle for Dreadnought. But it's the same as um, Asensia on the transporter pad. Like they knocked, they didn't kill all those officers. They just- yeah. Whacked them once and they all went to, you know, in, in true Star Trek form, you hit somebody once, they're unconscious. But these, the Vaunukat really, for ruthless killers, are not killing anyone. Right. And in fact, the construct itself got the fleet to drop shields and start firing on each other. But if that really happened, it, the battle would last like a minute, you know, because... The ships are immobile. Right. And firing, you know, quantum torpedoes and photon torpedoes and phasers. And that's not going to be a very long battle at all. No. And somehow it lasted quite a while until the Klingons and the other people showed up to kind of get in the way. Now, we know why they're doing that, but it was bordering on people should be dying out there in the thousands. And... uh can I confess something? What? When the Klingon ships showed up, I actually cried. Well, there's no, there's no, you know, I, I, got, I did too. I did I got, too. Like when it showed up with the shields, I was, I wept. I was so moved and like that happy crying that you do when you're relieved. It was a very intense moment for me. And then I was sort of embarrassed. <laughs> You knew it was coming, but it was so well delivered and oh. the music was great. And, you know, she gave, you, you know, both Gwyn and Dow gave great Starfleet Star Trek speeches. Gwyn's speech especially 
had a great resonance about people being accepted and how important Starfleet was. And it was this great Star Trek message. It was a message about Starfleet. It showed how far she's come as a character. Oh, yeah. It also showed how this show, I think, it's a great, you know, we keep on saying it, but it's a great kids show message about acceptance, which has always been Star Trek's message. I know. I actually feel like it's the old people who need to hear that message more than kids these days. Kids seem to, for the most part, be getting the acceptance message. It's the old people that need to pay attention. Now, of course, <laughs> Gwen's like, Starfleet's great. They accept everyone. Oh, by the way, Dal, oh. you're out. Yeah. <laughs> everyone else, though, you're it. So I feel like they're going to, I mean, as we, you know, I wrote the article about that. There's no way they can't. It just doesn't add up that they're going to stick with this. You know, we love everybody, but augments, you suck. You know, it's just. They're going to have to find a loophole for Dal. That's for sure. And then for Una on Strange New Worlds, there's a lot going on with yeah, <laughs> with genetically modified. <laughs> and it's not even their fault. Yeah. He was literally born that way. Andy Peter Dish. Yeah. So which is different than, you know, quite different, actually. And that might be the loophole, perhaps, because in the case of Bashir, his parents did it, although, again, he it was, you know, again, not against his will, but he was just a kid at the time. So he didn't augment himself, and certainly Dal did not. No, he didn't even know. Exactly. I loved the moment, you know, when she told him, I was, because I was thinking, now you're going to tell him this is the moment? But of course, she did it for all the right reasons, and she had to, because finding out later, if there's going to be a later, and then finding out that they all knew, that would be a problem. So I thought, good good for her for f- doing it. And then she tells him at that same moment, they lose the shields. They're suddenly defenseless. When she tells him, he sort of falls and he's sitting there and he hits his lowest point. And then in one second, he just rises and he's like, nope, I got it. And he finds his strength and his courage and it just accepts it. He's like, okay, well, if I can't go, you still can. So I'm going to take care of this. And you can still go to the Academy. Although, I mean, it was a great moment for him, very kind of Kirk-like to fall apart and then get himself together. The crux issue was he was talking her out of arming up to repel the boarding party, which they assumed was going to be Starfleet. Right. And, And so his premise was, if you do this, they'll never let you in the Academy. But it's like, well, you know, if what if she shoots them on stun? And, you know, it's... She has no choice because she's trying to protect them. Um, So why would, you know, how would that go against her? So I don't know. I felt that I didn't get the logic there. Oh, I got it. Because, I mean, again, they are kids. And so he's just thinking of the imagery of firing at Starfleet people. And he still doesn't know if any of them are going to be accepted. I mean, he wasn't even there to have, he never got to have a conversation with Admiral Janeway, except for that one, you know, a couple episodes ago where they didn't really talk for very long. Whereas everybody else has already been exposed to her and spent some time with her. He hasn't. That's coming hopefully in the finale. Once they get everything sorted out, as it were. So the scene where, They free themselves from Dreadnought. I loved that scene so much because each person helped the next. 
And it was so symbolic of the way the show has been from the get-go. Rock figures out how to free Murph, which we finally found out how you can stop Murph. Um, <laughs> and then Murph... Using Jankum's flame th- right. flamethrower. Right. So Rock uses Jankum to free Murph, who frees Zero, who frees Dal, who right. frees Jankum and Rock. I loved that. It was so well done because it reinforced the themes of the show and who all of these kids have become. Right. If you think about that episode where they landed on that planet and everyone went off in yes. their own direction, you know, like they're working together. They're a well-oiled machine, somewhat. Not always, but they definitely get the job done. So they should let them all in the Academy, including Dow. Yes. And Murph, I guess. I don't know. Like, is Murph a person? I, just, <laughs> I don't know. It's, uh, he was certainly having a good time leaping around and making faces at Dreadnought. <laughs> yes. I mean, he is very funny. That is for sure. He still hasn't said something. So I'm still holding out hope that Murph says something in the next episode. What did you think about Dal kissing Gwyn? We predicted that there was going to be something romance situation but yet it's still surprised at that moment because it was like the worst possible time you could do it and (laughs) so they've telegraphed that this was coming in a way but not at the moment which turned it into a surprise i don't think she rejected him per se it was just really bad timing you know like no although he saw, saw it as a complete rejection i don't think it was necessarily but it definitely wasn't the right time. She just kind of went, whoa, what are you doing? Like, there's a lot going on right now. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, you can't get in the Starfleet. I know. That was just so hard that she had to say it right then. Oh, it's brutal. You can't have me. You can't have Starfleet. Oh, the shields are down. It was just a really <laughs> bad moment. Bad 20 seconds for Dal. But he, he pulled through, you know, so he's got something, that weird purple guy. <laughs> With the ganglia. With the dangly ganglia. I thought the music in this episode was incredible. Maybe best yet. Yeah, because there was so much action, and then they had to slow things down for an emotional beat, and then get back into the action, and the music is used really well to take the audience on that journey. And in in the right way. You know when you're watching something, and the music overplays its hand, the music has to tell you something sad or tell you something's funny? When yeah. you're, you know, and this show doesn't do that at all. Like I thought that if you watched it without music, you would still understand what was going on. Yeah. But it really brings in the emotion. I thought every time I found it to be such an emotional episode, which is why I had to keep going. So Zero's hero moment was suddenly having the ability to hotwire the ship and take over from the construct. Also to know um, what the word hotwire meant. Exactly. <laughs> I knew you were going to mention that. I couldn't so, help it. So this is one of those things where it's like, well, that would have been convenient like two episodes ago. But I'm glad you finally figured it out. But over the last couple episodes, in the back of my mind, I keep on hearing Lily from First Contact saying, blow up the damn ship, right? Because it's the obvious solution. Yes, the construct is in control, but pull out a dilithium crystal or do something. There's got to be a way to stop the ship. But then I thought, well, this episode is called Supernova, and the heart of this ship is a baby star. So (laughs) I think 
<laughs> that at some point in the finale, which you can't mention, they're going to finally figure out, oh, wait, we can just blow up the ship, um, which we've, you know, I mean, just uh, eject the warp core, right? You know, that's what uh, the finale from Lower Decks, except in this case, it'll be eject the protostar. Um, but I feel like that's we're all come. It's all coming down to that. So they're either going to eject the protostar core or they're just going to blow up the ship or something like that. But, I, you know, why they haven't brought up any kind of sabotage up to this point is is beyond. I guess they've just been busy and no one thought of it. Oh, I, I mean, why they haven't brought it up is because they're kids. They're not going to think in the, oh, I'll blow up the ship I'm on. It's not a thing that I think would occur to most Well, Janeway was on the ship for, you know, a while. She should have thought of it, too. Maybe. I don't, it didn't seem to, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like an omission to me. There was a kind of a, I don't know if it's a funny thing. So, so last week I, I noticed there was four ship types, right? But this week we could actually see that not only were those sovereign class ships, that was the USS Sovereign. And that was the USS Defiant. Now, my bet is they're all Defiants. Like, you just can't tell. Like, they just copied and pasted. But it's kind of a big deal that that is the actual US Def- USS Defiant out there. Just kind of a big deal. And the point they made at the end was all the ships are coming. Every ship is coming. Right. Eventually, they'll all be there. Right. <laughs> and they'll all be disabled. But it was a great episode for ship nerds. Yeah. And they even said there was a Gorn trading vessel. Right. I mean, yeah, there was a, also a freighter and a Vulcan ship. They were Those were all deepish cuts. You know, the Ferengi Marauder, Bird of Prey is not really that deep of a cut. That's kind of a classic ship, but it was still very cool to see. And I, I liked that whole exchange with the Klingon and the way they transitioned from Klingon to English was, was cool as well. Yep. Is there anything else we need to talk about this fabulous part one? Well, we could do predictions, but you know, it's no fun if you. If Sorry, I know I shouldn't have done it. Even when I was doing it, I knew I shouldn't do it. I knew it was wrong, and I did it anyway. So I predicted they're going to blow up the ship. Uh, Murph's going to talk. They're going to let Dal into Starfleet Academy. They're going to let them all into Starfleet Academy. If they blow up the ship, what happens to Hollow Janeway is obviously a question. And uh, do they need two Janeways? Does she transfer to the Dauntless? Or I don't know. That's a. I haven't thought about that one yet. I cannot comment. <laughs> I am not programmed to respond in that area. I can't. I'm not allowed. It's my own fault. I'm sorry. Yes. Well, we can make predictions next week for season yes. two. Yes. Sure. Okay. Well, no, I think that's it. I think we're done with this episode. It was great. I give it a 9.5 out of 10. Yeah, I would too. Maybe even a 9.6. Oh, wow. Exciting. Just for fun. So we should wrap up with our bits of the week. Why don't you start? Last week, Avatar The Way of the Water opened, and a friend of the site, a Danish film journalist, sent us a video of his junket interview with Zoe Saldana. And instead of, he's like, well, you know, am I going to ask her the what's up with Star Trek Four question again, which she'll just say the same thing they always say. So he asked her which language she thought was harder, Navi from avatar or klingon um and she you know she threw up the vulcan salute and she talked at length about learning klingon and like learning navi and in the end she said klingon was harder than navi which i thought was interesting huh but she's you know it was just a fun little video and uh it's i love the fact that there's a danish journalist 
Johan Albrechtsen, who is a big Trekkie, fan of TrekMovie.com. And uh, when he sits down with Zoe Saldana, he asks her dirty questions and sends them to us. I, I just love that. Me too. I think it's great. So what's your thing of the week? First, I have to ask you a question. So since it's Christmas, okay, can I do one last bit about something I learned on the Delta Flyers? Or should <laughs> I not talk about them anymore? Because I have a backup. <laughs> as, as, as my Hanukkah present to you, yes. um, you may do one more 2022 mention of the Delta Flyers. Woo! Okay, here we go. So this week's episode was about Ashes to Ashes with Kim Rhodes. So it's the one where a crew member has died and comes back as Kobali. She's been transformed into this alien. It's Kim Rhodes, who's an actress I've liked for a long time since her soap opera days. I've been a fan of hers. So she was on the podcast for the whole thing. She's only the third person that they've ever had just be there the whole time. She had great stories about working with Kate Mulgrew. And she said Kate really took her under her wing when she found out that she that it was her first single camera job. She gave her all these tips. She stood up for her when there was a dispute with the director, all this other stuff. But when she was done, Kate contacted Brandon Braga and Rick Berman and said, get this girl on our show and wanted her to have a recurring role. So what happened was instead of bringing her back to Voyager... They told her that they were writing a role. They had a great role for her in the next series, which, of course, is Enterprise. And so they met with her and they said she'd she'd be playing this role. And she said, I have secret insight into what a Vulcan actually is because of their conversations with me. And then she screen tested in front of a whole bunch of people. She said 35 people at Paramount. And then they told her she was the wrong physical type. She was auditioning mm-hmm. for T'Pol. So it was the, she was the wrong physical type. She said to her agent, does that mean I'm too fat? And the agent said, yes. <laughs> so. It's and in- I don't remember her. I mean, she's in she's no way fat. fat. No, she's an actress. She is not fat. Right. She was an actress versus a model. She said she actually took a year off from Hollywood after that. Um, she was Jesus. a theater person and she went back to theater, but she's done fine. She was on, she was a recurring character on Supernatural for 10 years. She's done all kinds of stuff. I've seen her in all kinds of things and she was great and had so many insights, but that was a story I have never heard. I did not know that she was one of the front runners for that role and that Kate Mulgrew had, had really lobbied for her to get more Star Trek work. Anyway, she's wonderful. Go watch the Delta Flyers and listen to it and okay, I'll stop, but. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate it. I know it's coming back in 2023. I'm just, you know, maybe once a quarter, you know, or something. Okay. <laughs> I just learned so many interesting things. <laughs> it's a, I mean, yeah, it's a great show and, you know, they have great guests. So especially for super Voyager fans. Yep. And I'm sure they talk about our podcast just as much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they even know about our podcast. <laughs> And how much I talk about them and how much I love them and how they make my Mondays so much better. (laughs) (laughs) That's it for the Christmas edition of All Access Star Trek. Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy holidays. And happy Hanukkah. It's Hanukkah, too. Indeed. We'll see you next week for the New Year's edition. (laughs) 